Welcome to another episode of Cancer Specialist Medical Minute with Dr. Rick and Dr. Danny. I'm Rick. And I'm Danny, and we're excited to be back for another episode of Medical Minute. Do you know what time it is, Rick? I think everyone knows what time it is. Danny? Well, I'm going to surprise you today. Before okay. I get into my dad joke, I'm going to just shout out to our first sponsor here, Dunkin' Donuts. We'd like to thank them for our cold brew coffee today and supplying us with this delicious cold brew. Thank you, Brenna, for bringing it to us. Some would say America runs on Dunkin'. They do. They do. <laughs> and Brenna's so so sweet to bring us this uh, cold brew coffee every day. We're, we're really happy to be here. And let me tell you the dad joke of the day. So we're getting into the dad jokes related to sports today, Rick. What oh, there's, does, hold on. There's subgenres of dad jokes? There are. There <laughs> Is there are. chapters in that book? Okay. Is that what you're telling us? Interesting. It's got pages flagged. I flagged the page. Wait, let me see. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> what does a basketball player do if he loses his sight? I'm not sure. Becomes a referee. <laughs> All right. That's not I bad. thought you'd enjoy that's that one. That's not bad. Yeah. That's pretty good. I like Best one yet, All for right. sure. Leader in the clubhouse. There it is. Well, Danny, did you know that can- uh, nutrition is a big part of cancer care? That's right, Rick. Nutritional intake can be greatly affected by both chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and sometimes even immunotherapy. But the problem is our bodies need nutrition in order to properly heal, get better, grow, and energy to effectively fight cancer. And this can be really hard for people who are feeling sick, not eating as much, and are battling the side effects of medication, as well as the side effects of the cancer itself. Yeah, at CSNF, Rick, we were lucky to have registered dietitians that give advice and counsel patients about things that they can do during their treatment to stay well-nourished and to combat some of these side effects of treatment. And we have a special guest today, uh, Tiffany, as part of our crew of amazing nutritionists here at Cancer Specialists in North Florida. And I hope we'll be um, enlightening for the listeners and tell us about this oft-overlooked aspect of medical care, specifically cancer care. So, Tiffany, welcome and introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background and welcome to the pod loft. Well, thanks guys for having me. Um, I didn't feel like I would serve you well without showing up with a dad joke. So I brought one. So this is like... That's what we like. This is an ambush. We like it. Yeah, Yeah, it's an ambush. This is like a prison shank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a good one though. Yeah, you want to hear this too. Please, I want to hear it. It would be in the nutrition subgenre. Oh, Yeah, so it's even better. What do you call a chickpea that's been beaten to death? I'm not sure. I don't know. A homicide. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. I think Tiffany's going to come back for. I think you're about to be replaced. It was the hook. It was the hook. It's what. It's why I listened to all of the episodes. I like the joke. That was awesome. You can thank the South Point team for that one. Oh, nice. Yeah, great. Team effort. Yes, they they dropped that off in my office today (laughs) for a special delivery. So, um, first. I'd like to say I do have the dream job as a dietitian. I get to tell patients to eat as opposed to what not to eat, so to speak. So oftentimes um, nutritionists and dietitians are referred to as the food police. And um, at this job, we don't have to be the food police. We get to encourage eating all the time, which I think is super great. And um, we have three registered dietitians on staff, and we cover all of the locations. If we aren't in person at those locations, we cover them remotely by phone. And we can always make special visits to see patients if necessary. 
for our patients, one of the best things about this is it's not an additional expense to them. And I think that's right. really important. So I one think, less thing to worry about. Yeah, and I think oftentimes with patients as they're going through this list of referrals or things they need to do for treatment, um, if it's costing additional money, sometimes that can be a barrier. Or oftentimes if it's in a different location, that's a barrier. So mm-hmm. now that we're in-house and then at no additional charge, then that's, I think it's beneficial to the patients. I think the flexibility is the key, right? If they're yeah. in the office and they can see you in person, great. If they prefer a phone call, we can accommodate that too. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it, they're already busy enough going between doctor's appointments and tests and imaging. The more we can kind of integrate in-house, I think, makes a big deal for patients and, like you said, makes their lives a little bit easier. Yeah, and with the phone calls even, they're not often rushed as they would be in an office setting. Mm-hmm. And so typically patients will often give more information on the phone. It helps us to help them better. So we, I mean, we often learn a lot about patients, maybe in stuff that's not nutrition related, but sometimes that's stuff that we can share with social workers or with the physicians. Um, if a patient has time to, and they're comfortable, they tend to talk more about what's going on. And so. And you can speak to more family members and things yes. that it's difficult when you're trying to squeeze 20 people in yes. an office space. So Tiffany, tell us a little bit about your background. How does one become a butt-kicking nutritionist? <laughs> well, um, for for me personally, I grew up on a farm, and um, we grew mass quantities of produce, cantaloupes, string beans, squash, cabbage, okra. And then as I as we got, I have two younger brothers. Shout out Shane and Colby, um, who <laughs> helped me on the farm. But we then, my dad then got into commodity commodity crop production. So. Uh, cotton peanuts, corn, soybeans. Um, my brothers and I were driving tractors and working with food before we were a- ever driving. Um, and I was probably cooking by the age of five. So it was um, it was a neat experience. It's probably the best childhood I could have ever asked for. And so nutrition was always on my radar. It was always a big part. It it provided my family with income. And so we just we always had a large respect for nutrition in general. And then. I went to college and double majored in public relations and nutrition and graduated from Georgia Southern University. First person in my family to graduate with a bachelor's degree and then went on to the University of Georgia, which someone in this room may just have just melted from that. That's horrible. It's the best thing. (laughs) And I thought I liked you. Yes. And then I even went to work for the University of Georgia managing research projects for some number of years. Um, You're not going to hit me with a go dog. Oh, it's coming. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> go dogs. Oh, man. No. <laughs> oh, and I think the record stands that we may have beaten you more than you've beaten us. How many national championships does Georgia Ooh. have? When was the last time you guys won one? It's been just a minute. Yeah. Just a spare minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a blip in time. <laughs> I, I, when, we, when I first moved here, I was so shocked that people kept referring to the Florida-Georgia game. Like, the Florida's appro- not first. Mm-hmm. That's it's the appropriate Georgia, way. Florida game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Florida-Georgia. It's the per- yeah, we're per- gonna correct stand. way. We're going to be at a, a lock here. <laughs> But so, um, anyways, I continued my career in several different aspects of nutrition and then took a very productive break at home wrangling toddlers and came back to work here. So, uh, I think one of the big things that a lot of people misunderstand about nutrition is a dietitian and nutritionist are not the same. So, for those people in healthcare, most of you probably know that. But for the general public, it becomes kind of 
an area of question. Like, what's the difference and why, why are they different? And so I thought this is a good place to kind of to mention that to patients, that when you're seeking nutrition advice, please seek it out from a dietitian. A nutritionist may or may not have your best interest at heart, nor do they have the training that's required of a dietitian. So a dietitian has to have a bachelor's degree in nutrition from an accredited university. And we have, I think, either 1,200 or 1,500 clinical hours that are required before you can sit for the registration exam. Then once you pass the exam, you have to maintain your license and your registration with continuing education. I think beginning in 2000, or I think in 2024, you have to have a master's degree to even sit for the exam anymore. So they, it's definitely um, a lot different. Nutritionist, to qualify as a nutritionist, so to speak, you can go online and just take a course, may not be a reputable course, and then claim to be a nutritionist. And unfortunately for dietitians, nutritionists tend to have a very strong social media presence and online presence and they share a lot of misinformation with patients. Mm -hmm. And you guys probably hear a lot of it just like I do. Yeah, I think um, especially with the way you would, the nutritionist sounds like it would be mm -hmm. the same as a dietitian, but yes. obviously there's a big difference between the two. So I guess your advice would be for patients seeking this out, even if it's not with us, but trying to find somebody who's an actual registered dietitian look up their credentials and yes. make sure they sat and passed and did all yes. that is that and in a healthcare fair? setting yeah i think that is fair and in a healthcare setting i would assume you're you're seeing a dietitian i don't think most reputable healthcare centers would have anyone else right right but if you're looking for someone online then that's where you should be a little more cautious <laughs> um, there's there are stories of people who have given really poor advice to patients, um, transplant patients specifically, mm -hmm. and it's actually caused a lot of, a lot of problems. So, um, a lot of harm. Yeah. yeah. So w when you, uh, say you have a patient who comes in and we, we have a lot of questions about, uh, glucose intake, how much sugar should I be eating during my cancer treatment? Mm -hmm. Um, it's one of the questions I think that, Patients fear that if they eat too much of something, whether that's sugar or soy products or something, that it may make their cancer worse or make it grow faster. What kind of advice do you give patients on um, things like that? Dr. Danny, that is one of the most common questions I have. It's, um, I think patients arrive in an appointment and they said, I've cut out all sugar. Mm -hmm. I'm not feeding my cancer. Now what do I eat? And, right. and unfortunately, it's kind of a, a myth. You know, it just... And our bodies are designed so well that if we're not feeding it glucose, it's going to find it somewhere, either from a breakdown of protein or fat. And um, I, it's just, it's sad for the patients that they all of a sudden start trying to do something that they haven't ever done. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely difficult. And then at a time when they actually, their body needs more calories. Right. So um, even without the carbohydrates in their diet, their body's going to make that sugar and it's counterproductive for anyone to struggle with this when they're going through cancer because they need those calories. And oftentimes, especially for our radiation patients who are struggling to chew and swallow, those carbohydrates are some of the easiest foods to consume. Well, I think that that's my main question is, I mean, I'm assuming you tailor your advice to the, obviously to the patient, but mm -hmm. also to what they're going through. You know, yes. someone going through head and neck chemo and radiation, they just need to get calories in 
yes. any way possible right. versus right. someone who may be already baseline obese or overweight mm -hmm. and they're maybe getting a treatment that's not going to impact their ability to eat. I'm sure you give different yes. dietary advice to those patients. So yes. I think it's important that for patients who are listening or caregivers who are listening, it is not a one size fits all kind of advice. No, and I think that's what's great about our team at mm -hmm. Cancer Specialists, like that we all work together to cater specifically to patients. And um, for nutrition, it is very, it's very personalized. Uh, what one patient goes through, certainly not equal to what another patient may be going through, but we definitely try to work really hard to cater to those patients and encouraging as much as often as we can to consume as many plant-based foods as possible just for the phytonutrients and the antioxidants and the fiber but at the same time making it where a patient can actually do it so are we we may give smoothie recipes or we may give samples of liquid nutritional supplements or we may sit down and go through a food diary recall and discuss okay here are some things we can change here to make this easier for you to consume but on the other end, if it's a patient who's, maybe it's a survivor patient who wants to know how to eat healthy now. And so we can sit down and have that conversation, or maybe it is somebody that's desiring to lose weight post-treatment. Mm -hmm. And then we can, again, it's a totally different approach to that, that patient. How do you deal with um, patients who are in situations where maybe they know what they should be eating, but it's either out of, you know, expensive, you know, it's, it's out of their price range, or they don't have access to fresh produce and things that, you know, sometimes can be taken for granted, you know, is there specific advice you give to those patients or are there resources available to them that can assist them in well, that? Dependent upon the patient, um, if the stories, if we are given enough information, we may seek out help from social work and the social workers are able to help the patients maybe qualify for grants or things that may help them purchase groceries, but also you know, not making it too difficult. It doesn't have to be organic, fresh produce. We could we can work with canned produce and frozen produce and things that may be more easier for the patient to acquire. So that's really important to us is to make it achievable for the patient. We don't want to give advice that doesn't help them. Right. I'm sure you've oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to ask how do you how do you guide patients on um, certainly when they're on chemotherapy, they have kind of this increased sensitivity to taste and smells and, um, you know, have kind of this discusia, which they get when you, you taste a food that normally should taste one way and it tastes like metal to them. Yes. Um, do you stick with blander foods or, or not adding too much spices? What kind of advice do you give them? It's, it just, it's dependent upon actually upon which side effect they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, some things are simple. For instance, if they have a strong metallic taste, we encourage them to eat with plastic utensils. Mm -hmm. And if they're experiencing um, no taste, we encourage them to use spices and marinades and maybe try foods they've never liked before because all of a sudden they actually may taste good. Um, not to be scared of food. That's one of the other things. Right. You know, Definitely don't be scared. And if one day you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see a taco place that most people don't usually you want to consume and then it sounds great so you pull in and you go for it try it it may be the thing that gets you through treatment it, it may be something you've never liked before but all of a sudden it sounds good and it tastes okay then we want you consuming it just we just i hate when patients or i guess it's so unfortunate when i meet patients who are starving because everything tastes bad or it doesn't have a taste 
and they've just kind of given up. And so I think all three of the dietitians, or the dietitians I work with, we want to help them find food that they'll eat. And it may take several appointments or several, several assessments to get there, but we really want to help them. Yeah, I mean, I think when I have a patient who's undergoing radiation for head and neck cancer, obviously, it, like you were saying, Danny, affects taste, it affects desire, things taste different than the expectation of what you're used to. And it it has to be just mentally one of the most bizarre experiences where you look at something you've had your whole life, your brain conditions you that this is how it should taste, and then you take a bite of it and it tastes completely different. I mean, who wouldn't at least, you know, right. want, not want to eat it? And so, I mean, I, this is probably very rudimentary to compared to the advice you give them but you know i just tell them at some point you have to experiment like you said try different things see what sticks but also during treatment when it gets intense and you know you're going to be losing weight you almost have to view nutrition as part of your job as a patient to make sure you're timing it and taking it in even if you're not hungry even if things don't seem appetizing because you know you need to you know it's not eating for pleasure like we typically associate it with so i think there's a for anybody, there would be a mental mm-hmm. hurdle to yes. kind of changing that yeah. from I'm eating because I want to enjoy this meal versus I'm eating because I know I have to get these calories in. Yeah. Right. And I think I think the way you explain it's great. I often tell patients it's a very similar to driving a car. Like you're not going to go on a long road trip without stopping by the gas station first. And if you do not stop by the gas station, there's a chance you're going to struggle on the way on your road trip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dependent upon how well you want to do on this road trip, you may fill the car all the way up. You know, you're just and so it's your job at this point to to make your body have the fuel that it needs. And so sometimes it's not fun and mm-hmm. it doesn't taste good and it's not it's not pleasing, but it's your job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you no one else can do it because I guarantee you we have an office full of people that would eat for you if we could. I mean, it's yeah. it's just. I would say it's one of the few times in life your doctor is going to tell you it's okay to gain weight and eat what right. you need yeah. to eat because yeah. the calories are what's important in that acute phase. For sure. I mean, it's one, it's the one time a dietitian can say, eat that slice of cake and eat it well. Eat it proudly, You know, enjoy it, and maybe do it again tomorrow. It's fine. <laughs> I, I think our group has done a remarkable job. When I think back to fellowship and a lot of our head and neck patients who are undergoing chemo and radiation, we reflexively put in G tubes or, uh, you know, uh, tubes in the stomach to help with feeding. And now I can't remember the time where we did that last. I mean, we occasionally have a patient, but I think we're doing a much better job getting patients in with our registered dietitians early, really reviewing their their nutrition plan and and keeping them away from that procedure. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just educational. Yeah. You know, the yeah. um, unfortunately there are plenty of institutions where it's reflexive to put mm-hmm. in a feeding tube. And it helps in the short term, but it really, you know, there's data, good data that suggests patients who have a feeding tube put in typically have worse regaining of swallowing function and things long term because it is part of the classic. If you don't use it, you will lose it. So mm-hmm. when you become completely reliant on a feeding tube, you're less likely to drink, eat from your mouth. And then those muscles, you know, that whole mechanism of swallowing is a very complex ballet of muscles and your brain signaling and all this and that can get thrown off so there are certain cases where getting a feeding tube is unavoidable you know if there's a blockage of the swallowing tube or there's something that physically prevents it from happening but in cases where it's you don't need one i think it's really important to have the multidisciplinary approach we have of getting people through 
treatment without it. Yeah, and I think when I'm out um, with other dietitians out in the field who work in different areas, I think they find that to be one of the most beneficial things about our practice is because they often say, oh, I, I guess you work with a lot of feeding tube patients. And I say, actually, no, we work really hard to allow our patients to eat the entire time of treatment. And it may mean for some of our radiation patients, I'm seeing them every week, but that's okay, mm-hmm. you know, to help encourage them and pull them along and talk them through it and and just remind them that, you know, you can do it. And if you're forgetting to consume something by mouth because you're not hungry, it's going to be really hard to remember to, you know, place it in your tube. You know, that's, it isn't always an easy answer. So um, for patients, sometimes they think that that's going to be the easy answer. You know, mm-hmm. I'm having trouble eating, so I just need a tube, but it's not the easiest answer. Now, growing up on a farm, and you said you started cooking at a young age, are you exclusively cooking fresh at home, or how much are you eating out? Yeah, make us jealous oh. with your diet. <laughs> There's no jealousy here. Um, well, I did mention to you my husband's in risk, and he's financial. I mean, he is... There's only, he budgets our eating out, you know. Uh, I see. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I love you, Jason. Um, you're, you're, on, you're on a food leash. <laughs> I'm on a food leash. No, um, I would say, you know, we, I think one of the things that, you know, there's times in my schedule where I have a lot of time to plan a fun, healthy menu, and then there are other times where I'm just trying to piece some things together to make it healthy for the kids and my husband, but also on a tight schedule. Our children right. are in activities and my husband and I both work and you know it and I think that's one of the things about nutrition most people try to make it very difficult and it can be really easy. I mean it's just, you know, pick a vegetable, pick a fruit, pick a protein and you have a meal. It doesn't, you know, I often tell the kids, look at all the color, <laughs> but sometimes it can be all yellow and still healthy or it can be all green, you know, it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be difficult, and I think that's one of the other things we work with patients, to try to take away this this impression that, okay, now you have cancer, now you're supposed to eat super, super healthy, and you've never really done that, and, you're, and they're scared. Well, how do I do this? It's going to be expensive. It's going to be difficult. I'm going to spend hours in the kitchen, and you really don't have to be. Right. But, um, well, you, and you want to develop a plan that they can continue once they're done with treatment, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think you probably find ways to make that easier for them that when they transition out of our clinic and they're, you know, not having to come in every day for treatment that they can still do those yeah. uh, meals and those practices you taught them. Yeah. And if, for instance, my children, they love frozen corn. They think it's the best thing. So kudos to me. I don't have to cook it. I just, you know, they like it. I, I don't know why. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it started as a toddler and I didn't question it. You know, they were eating corn. Let's just move on. Right. Our kids love cucumber. And we'll, yeah. We'll give them cucumber every night yes my son will eat anything as long as it's not green <laughs> <laughs> my son he refused to eat carrots for i think maybe seven years and the hmm. I, I read all these study i did all the research you know as a as a dietitian mama i was like isn't this the greatest joke like you have a son that's very picky and so i would just place them on the table please just try one if you don't like it you can spit it in your napkin we did this for seven years and now carrots are one of his favorite foods so <laughs> I, I stayed in the fight, but... Um, well, I think some of it is, I mean, I was a terrible, terrible <laughs> eater from what I understand as a kid. I only wanted like soda and bread, you oh, know, you're, you're as, a, di- as a dietitian, I'm sure you can, that's the best thing you can have, yeah. right? But then all of a sudden, like a, something flips in your yeah. brain and then you mm-hmm. start to like all these different things, but... Yeah. 
Well, I grew up on a South Georgia farm. I grew up drinking sweet tea and eating fried chicken and biscuits. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, but again, at some point, there's you know there is knowledge that you've gained and a desire to you know fuel your body. Well, speaking of, I guess. <laughs> Um, transitioning into you brought up an interesting point earlier I'd like to circle back on (laughs) so with the rise of social media and we're as guilty as anybody doing a podcast that I I think people want to hear hopefully but anyway yes what you know know it is the the, you we touched on the differences between a dietitian and a nutritionist what are some of the common um, myths or misconceptions that you see patients coming to you that they may hear on these, you know, less than ethically um, sound folks that <laughs> may be telling one, them. One of those platforms. How, that was, that, the was, that, was that, the non-licensed was that, folks. was that PC enough? Yeah. No, I did. A, okay. That way. Yeah. All right. yeah. Okay. Good. 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 All right. Cool. Um, I think, uh, well, the keto diet, it, it's a strong one. Hmm. And um, I, I think that that one's one of the ones that a lot of the patients now, you know, I, they, especially those desiring to lose weight. I've heard all about the keto diet. I'm now doing the keto diet, and how can you help me? And then I, w- I have to switch them around and say, okay, wait a minute. There are healthy carbohydrates that you need in your body, right. mm-hmm. and you need the fiber mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you need the fiber. Nobody wants to have a diet without fiber. <laughs> right. Um, so that's one of the main ones. And the new th- – well, I'm trying to think of another one that's – the patients talk a lot about the sugar thing is a big thing for patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends are all about some of these restrictive diets. So diets that maybe eliminate beans for some strange reason or eliminate shade vegetables or shade plants or eliminate. Oddly specific. Yes. It's extremely. <laughs> yes. Yes. Extremely strange elimination diets that, yeah. you know, maybe not limited sugar or limited processed sugar but more of just foods that are healthy that i don't understand why you've taken them out of your maybe, diet like, maybe it's no a way fruit. to might be a way to feel in control maybe hmm. maybe maybe rain things you, back have, in. you have more <laughs> dominion over your diet yeah. even if it doesn't make even a difference it's just beans yeah that maybe right. you didn't even like to begin with right exactly <laughs> what a sacrifice <laughs> no, such a sacrifice i just i think from from a dietitian from my perspective and all the research that's out there about plant-based diets and you know, just fruits and vegetables. I can't imagine elimination of one of those unless you despise it. Yeah, I think it's beneficial. I mean, like right. I could kiwi, you could take out of my diet, and I would never miss. It's the one fruit I just don't. Well, like, yeah, but. to me, it's not. Obviously, there's some things that are healthier than others, but it's not <laughs> a specific. What you eliminate one thing, and it's going to fix a magic problem. No. But if it gets you on the path to a better diet, I think then that's a good reason to do it. You know, I think. Yeah. <laughs> If if a key, quote unquote keto diet means you eliminate sodas and process you know carbohydrates, that's probably overall a good thing. As long as you, you get, don't replace it with bacon, right? But you know you're, you're getting it from somewhere. Right. You're getting your carbohydrates from some a healthier yes source. So I think there's degrees versus just you know people who throw all their hat into one yes magic you know. Yeah. I think elimination diets diet. have a have, you know an expiration date forever. You know yes. they they go on it for months. They go off of it, on it, off it. And I think the it's yo-yoing. how much well, how much benefit are you getting? Yeah, it's that, it's about know? can you stick with something, right? right. So right. even if it's mediocre, if it's better than what you were doing and you can stick with it, it's better than being a saint for two months. Right. But then as soon as you're done, <laughs> you rebound back right. 
like you said, yo-yo. But I think it, you know, it also speaks to the, you know, and so unfortunately the health messaging sometimes in this country is pretty, I know I've brought it up before, but pretty piss poor. Um, you know, yeah. like the, yeah. the things we, you know, obviously everyone knows about advertisements and things that are marketed to children and marketed to adults and the wet, the quote unquote Western diet, you know, is not mm-hmm. clearly not the optimal <laughs> diet in in the world. So I think there's a lot of hurdles that people have to overcome. Some of it's as a marketing person, Brenna, and some of it's a literally a psychological hurdle that you have to overcome this your whole life. You're being thrown that this is good for you. This is whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, fit, you know, change that is a really hard pattern to break. And I think that's one of the things that I feel the strong, most, I guess the strongest about would be, um, I think that we all need to develop a healthy relationship with food. Oftentimes it's referred to as good or bad or, you know, and people want to put it in these categories. And yes, there are foods that offer more nutritional benefits than others, but at the same time, there there's emotions tied to foods that, I mean, can you imagine celebrating a birthday without cake? If you like cake, no, I mean, that, that would it would be a sad birthday. I'm or, an emotional eater. I'll yeah. <laughs> freely admit that. Or I think we've talked about this or to go to the loop and not have the homemade potato chips. No, yeah. no, thank you. That's not, I mean, there, there are certain things that, you know, holidays, you think about holidays, there are certain meals that your family's probably consumed for years and right. to have that eliminated. It doesn't mean you have to eat four servings of it, but right. you can enjoy things in moderation. Well, and uh, there's a nutritionist that I listened to one time. He's a good line. He said, <laughs> It's not what you do between uh, Christmas and New Year's. It's what you do between New Year's and Christmas, right? Yes. Meaning that yes. there are times where obviously you need to, it's okay to quote unquote, you know, have things that you know aren't necessarily the best thing for you as long as it just doesn't become all you do. Right, right. right. And just having that relationship. And I think taking it, I mean, I think I'm the type of person that if you tell me you can't ever have uh, a brownie again. I don't, I mean, brownies aren't a favorite thing of mine, but I guarantee you, if you told me that, I'll all of a sudden really crave brownies and really have a strong desire Mm -hmm. because you've Mm -hmm. set that boundary that's... We're all toddlers at heart. Yes. Yes. You always want what you can't have. I know. It's my son and soda. Rafe, you don't need that much soda. Aria and M&M's. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) My son and anything. (laughs) Well, eat the peanut M&M's. They support the peanut farmers, so have at that. Yes. It's my favorite candy. I think another uh, important fad, and not, not... only a fad, but intermittent fasting. What's your take on that? And patients that are doing it, say after they get finished with treatment, say a patient wants to use it to lose weight. What do you What do you guide them on? So that's a new one. A lot of the research is still rather progressive. Um, it's It's leading to there are benefits from it. Um, it's just a matter of probably for a patient to meet with the dietitian and let's talk through how are you intermittently fasting and. Mm-hmm. Are you making choices that may make this detrimental to you in the end? In, or are you going to have, um, are you going to experience hypoglycemia and right. feel poorly and then not last long on this? You know, and right. I think for any type of eating behavior, you guys have touched on this, the longevity is the key. So if this is something you want to do, are you able to maintain it for a long time? And once, and if you do stop, have you, I guess, gleaned enough information that this works? And you have now developed new healthy habits, or as soon as you quit, are you going sh- directly back to where you started? Because mm-hmm. if that's the case, then it's a lot of effort for 
minimal yeah. <laughs> minimal rewards. Yeah. But the research is promising. I right. You know, I like breakfast. I like breakfast early in the morning, so I'm probably never going to be great at intermittent fasting, but yeah. <laughs> kudos to people who can wait. <laughs> you have to cut off your food intake pretty early in the day. Yeah, to, to I would make have that to. Work. Yeah, I would have to because I love breakfast, but probably by what I guess like four o'clock, I would have to stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Tiffany, on today's episode here at the Pod Block. Really appreciate it, Tiffany. Thanks for having me. I have really enjoyed this. All right. Uh, so. Please come back for another episode of Medical Minute. And if you have any suggestions on things we should talk about, questions you'd like answered, or you just want to say hi, please email us at medicalminute at csnf.us. And make sure you follow us on social media. Search Cancer Specialists of North Florida on Facebook and underscore CSNF on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, we appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time, and we hope you learned something today. And remember, when it comes to your health, stay informed. Ask questions and, and tune, tune in, in next time. time. That was the best one ever.